Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Citizen U, a forum for exploring in-depth local government and current affairs to increase your civic literacy and with that, your ability to be an effective participant in local democracy. I am your host, Mari Roden. Today, we'll take a close look at homelessness in Mendocino County. Many Mendocino County residents see unhoused people in our, on our streets, in our parks, and on our beaches on a regular basis and are wondering, who are these people? What are their stories? Why do we continue to see this problem with seemingly no improvement in the situation? Why isn't the county doing its job? Is it the county's job anyway? Today we'll answer some of those questions. But first, a little background information on homelessness. While a number of factors heighten the risk of homelessness, poverty leading to the inability to pay for housing is the single greatest factor for homelessness. The association between poverty and homelessness holds true here in Mendocino County, a high poverty county, where according to the 2018 Homeless needs assessment, 61% of the county's homeless were living in Mendocino County when they became homeless. Nationally and locally, the demographics of homelessness are changing as the baby boomer generation ages. In the early 1990s, just 11% of single adults experiencing homelessness were aged 50 and over. By 2003, this rate had increased to 37%, and currently, approximately half of single adults who are homeless nationally are aged 50 and over. The, uh, the aging of the unsheltered popula population has critical policy implications because adults in their 50s and 60s who are homeless experience premature aging, having the health characteristics of people 20 years older. In Mendocino County, according to the Homeless Assessment, the median age for homeless individuals experiencing homelessness is 46. That's slightly younger than the national, but still, it's getting older. The median age an individual in Mendocino County starts experiencing street-level homelessness is 41 years of age. As far as how many unsheltered people we have in the county, the best estimate comes from point-in-time counts. These uh, point-in-time counts, sometimes called pit counts, have been done annually for at least 10 years, maybe more. The trend since 2016, however, is that the number has been decreasing. In 2019, the count was 785 people homeless countywide. To discuss homelessness with me today, I have two guests in the studio, each representing a different vantage point on the problem of homelessness. One is Jackie Williams. Jackie is the executive director of Ford Street Project in Ukiah. Ford Street provides housing, case management, and substance abuse treatment services to the unhoused. Jackie is also the co-chair of the Mendocino County Homeless Services Continuum of Care Group. My other guest is Megan Fansant. Megan is a senior program manager with the county's Department of Health and Human Services. She oversees some interesting and controversial new programs related to homelessness.
Thank you both for being here. Um, I'd like to begin with brief personal introductions uh, from both of you. Uh, we could start with Jackie, because you're on my left. Please tell us what you do vis-a-vis -vis the unhoused population and what led you to the work you currently do. Good morning, Mari. Thank you for this opportunity. Today, um, Ford Street's programs focused on serving the unhoused are focused on serving families. We've had experience in, in the past serving um, the operating the Buddy Eller Center. Some of you probably remember that. That was a just an emergency shelter. But over the last several years, we focused our efforts on trying to reach out and answer the solution many times of, of young families living in their cars. So that's, that's kind of um, our homelessness effort. The other thing is in our treatment, a residential treatment facility, many of the folks that come into treatment have have lost their job, have lost their housing, and as they complete treatment, uh, we help them with uh, not just returning to homelessness. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jackie. Megan, give us a little personal information about what you do vis-a-vis -vis homelessness and how you got to be where you are. Thank you, Mari, and it's, um, it's a pleasure to be here this morning talking about housing and homelessness with you, too. So um, my name is Megan Van Sant. I, um, I've worked for the county of Mendocino for 14 years in the Health and Human Services Agency on a variety of projects. My team and I work across uh, um, all three departments in the, in the agency, public health, social services, and behavioral health. And housing and homelessness is just one of the projects my team and I work with. Um, we do a lot of work with CalFresh Outreach and health insurance, a whole person care program, a car seat program, so a variety of programs that my team manages, but housing and homelessness is probably the most um, high profile of the work that we do. And it's an interesting question when you when you started by asking Jackie how, how we got into homelessness or how I did it. I thought to myself, I was just assigned this work. <laughs> so at a certain point, um, my supervisor at the time was like, Megan, you are now going to be in charge of this 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 little tiny part of the agency that um, facilitates the homeless services continuum of care. And that was, um, that was a couple years ago. And since then, the issue has just really um, skyrocketed in profile and funding and attention to those issues. So I, I, I came to this work as, a, as an assignment, mm -hmm. but it has been super fascinating and I've, I've really enjoyed what I've been able to learn through the process. Thank you. Well, the background data I presented uh, are, are interesting, uh, Mendocino County's homeless population and the national population and the trends and the demographics. We are, after all, talking about human beings uh, with lives uh, that appear to me anyway to be emotionally painful, physically uncomfortable, um, and unhealthy. So let's get out of the abstract realm for just a few minutes and talk about who the unhoused in Mendocino County really are. Maybe um, I can, I'd like to, to ask this question of both of you, since you both have worked with unhoused individuals and families. So if you could give us a sense of their stories, maybe tell a few. I, I, you know, I'd love to, Mari, because I think they're very relatable. Um, it, because it's so expensive to live in Mendocino County. Some households may have mom, dad, 
and an aunt or an uncle or a grandma, some households have three incomes. And the loss of one or two incomes can create a homeless family. With our economic up and down, that can happen. The other thing that if, if we were to look at who's in my dorms right now, um, a serious illness could take somebody away from their work. And it's not too long after you have no income that you may, with, without a cushion or a support system, end up homelessness. So, end up homeless. So, I would think that there's more economic, um, realities out there that contribute to this than we realize, especially with families. Um, most folks probably have savings that could get them through a month or a month and a half. And um, I know that because we work with them on helping them to budget. So it's um, it's high cost of living. It's um, an unforeseen hardship can um, bring somebody to a real critical position fairly quickly. Right, poverty. Um, I, I would definitely echo what Jackie is saying that there there are definitely individuals and families, a, a large portion of them that are that are brought to homelessness through economic conditions. Um, what's interesting to me as I've been involved in more in this work is the very wide range of reasons and origins for somebody falling into homelessness. Um, we talk with families or individuals every day and their stories are are very different. Um, so it economic certainly just simple poverty and one of the things I, I learned to recognize early on is that we have individuals that or in many cases households that are living very low income their their income is maybe you know a thousand fifteen hundred two thousand dollars a month and possibly working as well and they do have family and connections here, but those family, their grandparents or their parents also live in subsidized housing and they can't move in with those those family members because either their income or the family size will make that original family ineligible for that housing. So there's a there's factors of generational poverty that lead to um, people staying in homelessness because they don't have um, family members that are stable enough or have high enough incomes for them to rely on. So that that's one factor. There's just so many though, Mari. I mean, it you know, mental illness can have a major impact on somebody's ability to stay housed, substance use as well, um, just basic poverty. There's also like a few themes that I've noticed. <laughs> um, broken hearts. We've come across an, a number of men who lost their, and it just seems to be the same story, lost their girlfriends or wives about 10 years ago, fell into such deep depression that they stopped paying their mortgage. They maybe just drove away from where they lived. Like people's lives can really fall apart when a loved one passes away. And it takes maybe 10 years for that to really fall apart. But that, that was a trend I certainly noticed um, that's been interesting to me because it felt like somebody should study it. Um, the one thing I would say we're not seeing in our community anymore in terms of a cause of homelessness um, is the trimigrant population. I don't know what else to call it other than the trimigrant. But when um, cannabis became legalized and that industry started to change, we see far fewer people traveling through our community in like September and October that are generally unhoused, kind of randomly looking for, for cannabis work. So that's been a definite change for the better, I think. Um, that's just one one little, yeah, <laughs> one little thread I've noticed that has, has changed. Mari, the other displacement of people that can contribute is is domestic violence mm -hmm. yeah victims and i have to say during the pandemic that that was a, an alarming increasing trend um where 
you know, some folks really needed those additional supportive supports to be able to, um, you know, to step away or leave a relationship. Right. I have some notes when I was uh, talking about poverty being the number one risk factor for homelessness. There, um, there is a list of others uh, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, just to add to what you mentioned or to repeat. Factors include being African American. This is from a study from UC San, San Francisco. A member of an immigrant community, a new mother, Native American, LGBTQ having a history of incarceration, mental health or substance abuse or use problems, adverse childhood experiences, social isolation, experiencing interpersonal violence, like you just mentioned, Jackie, uh, low-wage work, chronic health problems, a prior history of homelessness, and I think this is really interesting in the poverty and housing arena, spending more than 50% of your household income on rent. This makes people very vulnerable. I'm going to switch gears a little bit um, and ask about the system of services. We have in Mendocino County myriad nonprofit organizations and public agencies that provide services to the unsheltered. These services include or services include shelter um, services, mental health treatment, substance abuse treatment, housing support, life skills training, among other <clears throat> many others. Some of the programs focus on specific populations, like adolescents, veterans, or people with HIV/AIDS. And many of these services have existed for years, but they haven't always coordinated with one another as well as they as they might. The lack of coordination can result in less efficient use of funding, a weakened service delivery system, and less less effectiveness overall. Um, so Jackie, I'm, I want to ask you as the co-chair of the Mendocino County Homeless Services uh, Continuum of Care Group, how is homelessness being addressed in Mendocino County? And, and, and maybe describe too, what is this group? So, so I, you know, my, in answer to your first question, Mari, I think the coordination and the um, openness and availability of data has never been as as well done uh, as it is right now. If you know, if we look back ten years ago, we hadn't really all agreed that we were going to even maintain the data that we need to uh, in the homelessness information system. So, so we've come a long way and can rely on the data that the provider's uh, input, and I think that helps us. The other thing I would I would comment on is that I feel like um, we have learned to partner with our healthcare providers, and we have come, you know, to terms with that, that um, when you, when you, you know, really housing is healthcare. I mean, we can help with uh, some of the other challenges in their lives, but we need to to work alongside healthcare and behavioral health providers. In my 12 unit, you had to be unsheltered or at risk of unsheltered to to live there. Many of them had what I would consider to be misunderstood minor behavioral health issues. And until they were able to access services at our local clinics, those things went unattended. So I feel like, the the healthcare providers at our clinics um, and our 
um, the you know the folks that do case management serving the the unsheltered are really working together in a real effective way mm-hmm. now. I also feel like our next or our last um, accomplishment is we've moved forward and we're not just focused on the care management of the folks that are visible. We're trying to get on ahead of this by focused on in- increasing our housing. That you know that. <laughs> There's a solution we all need to work on. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year in 2020, is in the spring of 2020, the this uh, homeless services continuum of care group and different jurisdictions, uh, like the board of supervisors and cities, adopted a strategic plan. And maybe you could talk about that a little bit, Megan. Sure. Um, you know, before we do that, though, I did. I did want to. I did want to push back a little bit on on something you just when you when. In the intro of what you just explained, Mari, mm-hmm. you said that there's a myriad of nonprofits that provide shelter and services. And I know that that's a community belief. But I have to say, from my perspective, from the county and trying to facilitate <laughs> services, we don't have a myriad of <laughs> organizations providing shelter and services. I would argue we don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And the capacity of those that are out there is not strong enough. Um, there are projects that our team internally in the county have taken on because we were like, I can't figure out who else can do this, mm-hmm. even though it might not be the best best fit to have the county do that work. But either the existing nonprofits we had were fully at capacity, or there just wasn't somebody who can do that. I'll give you an example. Jackie operates a very small shelter for family. It's families. It's a recovery-based model. We don't have just a basic shelter for families. We need one. Mm-hmm. Jackie is fully consumed doing what she's doing. Our other nonprofits are fully consumed doing what they're doing. There's major gaps mm-hmm. that I don't think we have enough um, players in this field. And they're, so, so I just want to put that out there. I appreciate <laughs> that. And, but I do think it's an important misconception in the community. There's a, commun- there's a perception that there's all these nonprofits, they're doing all this stuff, wasting all this money. And I'm sorry, I'm just no. paraphrasing no. what other people no. say. This no. is not what I think. No. But and in my experience, really and internally, it's like that is just not the case. So, mm-hmm. but back to your question. About, yeah. Or do you want to? Well, I just, just for a minute, because I also want to go back to the programs. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about homeless outreach and Project Home Key. Mm-hmm. But so let's just take a minute and to talk about strategic plan. But sure. before you do that, I want to, um, in case anyone just tuned in, let you know that we're listening to Citizen You. Uh, this is a forum for exploring local government related issues to increase your civic literacy and your ability to be an effective participant in local democracy. I am your host, Mari Roden. Today we're talking about homelessness in Mendocino County. My guests are Jackie Williams of the Ford Street Project in Ukiah and Megan Van Sant of Health and Human Services. So back to Megan and um, if you could talk about the strategic plan for addressing homelessness. So um, let's see, it was before the pandemic. Back in 2019, yeah. I think. Um, no, yes, sorry. <laughs> About probably summerish or late fall of 2019, the COC um, contracted with a facilitator to help us put together our strategic plan to address homelessness. Um, it was a really wonderful process. It took about four or five months to um, develop the strategic plan, and we, we finalized it literally like right before the pandemic. I think it was like April 2020. So 
I need to talk more closely. Okay. <laughs> it was we finalized the plan in April 2020. Um, what I do want to I do want to address about this plan because this comes up in the community all the time is the planning process included a pretty careful analysis of what the community likes to call the Marbit report. So back in 2018, the county contracted with a gentleman named Robert Mar Marbit. Robert. Yeah. yeah, Robert Marbitt, to do a kind of um, analysis, like, you know, review of homeless, the homeless population and homeless services in Mendocino County. He generated a report that was useful, um, also controversial, but mostly useful. Um, and that report, the, the Marbit report, as everyone kept calling it, was a core document that the Strategic Planning Committee looked at, really incorporated into the strategic plan. And I do want to emphasize that almost all of the recommendations from the Marbit report are incorporated into the strategic plan to end homelessness in Mendocino County, um, including a bunch of other other initiatives as well. So it was a really yeah. awesome planning process. It's been a really useful tool <clears throat> for me and for the COC as we you know we think about our priorities. I will say everything got derailed, of course, by the pandemic. Things that we wanted to work on got delayed, but overall, it's been a very useful planning tool for us. And it is available on the um, website. It's a little bit of an awkward name, but it's www.handupnothandoutmendo.com. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, Megan, you've been working on uh, with the Ukiah Police Department on a pilot project called the Homeless Outreach Team. Would you please talk about that pilot project, including what inspired it? Sure. Um, Again, I think this was the case where I was assigned to do this um, work, but it, it actually ties a little bit back, back to the, my comments about a myriad of nonprofits maybe or may or may not be available to do this kind of work. So um, there had been an interest, kind of just general talk for a long time, included, I mean, it was identified by um, Mr. Dr. Marbit, identified in a strategic plan that our community did need some more street outreach, like intentional street outreach. And there just wasn't really the, the organization or, or at the time that was stepping forward to do that in a general way. And so our team did initiate a pilot project to do um, homeless outreach specifically in the city of Ukiah and specifically in partnership with um, the Ukiah Police Department in the city of Ukiah. Um, it's been a very eye-opening experience. We have two, well, there's four really, for highly skilled outreach workers. They are only out in the field on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. Things have changed a little bit because one of them just had a baby, and so our schedule's a little bit different. And but we're talking on the streets of Ukiah. Streets of Ukiah. We don't have this on the coast no. No, or no. anywhere. The intention was always to expand this work countywide, and I think that there will be the opportunity to do that within the next couple of years. May, probably not with my team, but maybe in some other format. Um, but we really wanted to learn who's out there, what strategies work, what partnerships are important, how can we, um, my original intention was just to get a better sense of, of what is going on out on the streets. Mm -hmm. um, like the literal street level homeless, which I think is very important to, to picky, piggyback on what Jackie said. The less visible homeless to me are critically important and, and really need tremendous attention. So, so I think it's really important to just keep that in mind that there's a wide range of families experience, individuals experiencing homelessness, not only the ones that we see on the street. But this outreach project was focused on street level homelessness. Um, our partnership with the Ukiah Police Department has been very good. Our communication around um, and cooperation has been very good, but there's major barriers in transformation. And um, my eyes really got opened up to, and I'm hesitant to say this because it's not my field, but of all the systems that are very broken in this nation, our criminal justice system is, is very 
ineffective in handling issues related to homelessness, and I would say substance use and mental health as well. And that became very apparent in our um, homeless outreach work and still is. So um, partnering meaningfully with the cr criminal justice system, I believe is gonna be a critical pathway to solving the issues related to the street level homelessness. It's a very touchy topic nationally. It's a very complicated one. But in my experience, it's that kind of collaboration is gonna be critical to actually making progress. How do you see if you could if you could design a way to respond to the homelessness problem um or, or let's just say an incident you know mm -hmm. people are camping out on the sidewalks um ideally how would how would public safety and social services work together what would to to address and deal with this you know these individuals what would you like to see or how is it working in another place that maybe you know? so what i would like to try is an actual partnership model where my my staff or my team, you know, probably not me literally, but maybe in some cases it would be, um, are in partnership with a member of law enforcement to go interact with these individuals. We haven't had the opportunity to do that. I can't say for sure whether it would work or not, but there are definitely homeless individuals out there that I'm not comfortable having my team work with without the support of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So does that mean literally you'd have some social workers, say, uh, people from health... That's a better word. Yeah, I mean, lack of, be an actual right, social worker, right. but that type. Right. <laughs> and then a uniformed officer. And together, is that what you're imagining, just trying to create a picture of how this that, would work? That is what I would like to try. I would also like to see... I mean, this is just me designing my... Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't know whether this is going to work. This is something I would like to try. Um, there needs to be, so, so I would like to see a partnership model in that way um, to see what would happen. Because I will also say, we, we've looked at the data of the um, individuals that are creating the, the most, generating the most calls for law enforcement locally. And I thought there'd be a huge overlap with the individuals that my street outreach team is, is interacting with, with, who we're finding in our homeless information services, who might be staying at the shelters, and there really isn't. It's very strange. So there's some mystery there that I haven't figured out, but I'm not willing to do it unless I have the partnership of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So we that that's the model I would like to try. I think I though I know the community nationally, there's a conversation about um, switching the having having calls be responded to not by law enforcement and by others. And I think in some cases that makes perfect sense. There are people that my outreach team interact with, there's no reason for law enforcement to be involved. But there's other times that um, I think that partnership is critical. Mm -hmm. and I'll just, I'll be really blunt. If we have a different model where other you know, non-law enforcement respond to, let's say, a 911 call nationally, one time that goes badly and somebody ends up dying, that model will be ruined forever. So, you know, it will not be politically palatable again. Palatable again. So I just think we need to enter into that, that arena really carefully. That's been my, my, my this is just Megan's perspective. Right. No, but, right? but Mara, I have to say that's being experiments lots of places. Mm -hmm. And in some places, the partners are our behavioral health mm -hmm. specialists. I mean, they're people that are skilled at quick assessment, build rapport quickly and de-escalation and that's our our law enforcement partners need our help in that mm -hmm. I, I agree with that and i think um i just lost my train of thought but one other thing to add there the the what we've learned again oddly 
the reasons people some of that some of the individuals a surprising percentage to me of the individuals who are not local so and I, and I want to be clear I Dr. Marbet indicated that 61% of individuals had fallen into homelessness in Mendocino County. I actually think that number is higher now. Um, we don't come across very many people who are not local. But when they are not local, a surprising number of them were brought here for criminal justice reasons. They either had a court date here or they had to um, come be, I don't know, they some often transported by law enforcement to Mendocino County. Not necessarily our local law enforcement, maybe I don't even know exactly, you know, we can never completely figure out the full stories, but I do go back and check with law enforcement, like what is going on with this situation? They are transported here, they end up in jail here, they're released back into the streets here, so, and we sometimes provide them with bus tickets back to their home community, but there needs to be some sort of better coordination that if somebody's ending up in homelessness because of a criminal justice reason, particularly if they're from out of this community, we should do a better job of returning them back to their home community so they can recover from homelessness where they have connections and supports. Um, to me, that seems like a low-hanging fruit, but it's not something that I and the county Health and Human Services can do. It has to be a, a collaborative vision with a lot of different partners, and that's not something I've been able to pull together yet, and, and I can't be the leader in that. So the many people probably understand this, that our, our uh, local parole folks and probation folks have really their workloads have increased ext just extraordinarily in the last several months. And so what Megan's suggesting, I really believe we have local people that would love to participate and work on things like that. But we've kind of swamped out some of our local resources. Um, and, you know, as we pull forward, you know, through the pandemic and into our new future, I definitely think um, that's that's going to be the, the the combination of folks that we need to to work closely with. When we say people are afraid, sometimes families are afraid because they may have an open case um, with child, what we used to call child welfare, and so that's another criminality issue or element that deserves you know some some scrutiny too. So the better we all work together we can create a little bit more safety for people who really need to ask for our help and are afraid to. Mm -hmm. um, back to so the HOT team, the Homeless Outreach Team in Ukiah, have, have there been any successes in um, with this work of, of outreaching to people literally on the street and bringing them into services? I think that's a question so many people have is why would these people continue to, to live on the streets when services are available and I'm curious if the team has had success in building trust to the extent that people actually come in. So definitely I mean and, and our team has connected people with some really critical health issues they may have had. Um, they've connected them with some behavioral health um, services. It's, it's difficult though because behavioral health services are also impacted and those systems are not designed very well to um, match the lifestyle of somebody who's homeless. You know, keeping an appointment two weeks from now is difficult. We will go look for the person that we know has an appointment and try to bring them, but sometimes they're not there, you know? So so the, those systems are not compatible in terms of a, a homeless a homeless existence, which is very day-to-day, -day, very much in the minute, and uh, organizations that need schedules and appointments and people to show up. So, so they're not well designed together. That being said, we have had success with that. But I also, when people say, um, there's a couple, like, um, words that I'm always like, I don't know what the community means. When your community says accessing services, I'm like, what exactly do they mean? Because we don't f hand out free housing. We don't have free housing. So there's not like 
this pile of housing that is available for somebody to just show up and get into. It doesn't work that way. So what many people want is housing, and we don't have that to offer. That's not how our system has been designed. It's not how the nation is designed. I think that there's a, you know, I work with a lot of entitlement programs. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're a certain income level, you are entitled to CalFresh benefits, food stamp benefits. If you're a certain income level, you're entitled to health insurance through Medi-Cal or Medicare. There is no entitlement program for housing, literally none. The only ones I could think of were jail, where there's an entitlement to be in a shelter, and foster care, if a foster child is entitled to have housing. Literally, any other demographic group, there's no entitlement that they will be provided with housing. That's just not how our, our country is designed. So the services people want often are housing, and we don't have those to offer. That's not that's not something we can offer. Um, that being said, your question was, have we had success? Absolutely. There are individuals that our homeless outreach team you know, one gentleman that was encountered literally on the railroad tracks, he kind of, he hadn't been there very long. It was a sort of dicey situation for him, but he was in very poor health. He spent time in a boarding care that they were able to place him in. And he's now actually housed at one of, is housed at one of our homeless projects. But that, um, you know, that pathway is possible, but it, it he met all the other criteria. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, the other thing about homeless outreach work is you can be doing a lot of intentional work with a client who then goes to jail for a year. <laughs> so that, that, you know, that is what it is, right? Um, or they just vanish. And I like to think they found a, a place to be and a housed place to be. And a lot of them die. So there's different kinds of outcomes that happen um, all the time with this population. Mm-hmm. Governor Newsom last year instituted two novel responses to homelessness in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, there were they were remarkable bureaucratic feats actually because they happen so quickly one was project room key the second was project home key and we implemented both of these in mendocino county and so i'd like to give either of you who would like to speak to it the opportunity to talk about both of them and in particular this the latter project home Mm -hmm. key because that's an exciting and also a controversial program um, so I'll, let me start, and then I'm going to pitch it to you for the details, Megan. I have to say, after seven years of scarcity, <laughs> it almost took the continuum of care a while to figure out, oh, my goodness, we could really, we don't have to triage everything. We don't have to prioritize and rank everything. We could really help people. I mean it 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 was mind blowing, Mari. And I, I think what it did for the for those of us that work in this is we became more optimistic and hopeful. I think it's just it's discouraging work at times because as as Megan said, people we've worked with disappear and we never really know what happens. Um, but that infusion of support, I feel like lit a new fire. Well can you describe the infusion? Because I think people most people don't know what project room key was so i'll let you describe that Mm -hmm. and also you know please mention what we learned because i think we thought like you you know shared our pit information and i before the pit the point in time counts Mm -hmm. so before the pandemic i would have characterized who those street level homeless people were and what their attributes were after the pandemic we real i feel like we've identified another kind of invisible homeless a crisis with elderly impoverished women and that are just not visible and so i just think uh, every every uh, event we get mm-hmm. we learn a little bit more mm-hmm. 
But why don't you give the overview, Megan? Sure, and, and I mean we can we can go back to um, the you know a bigger viewpoint as well. Project Room Key and Project Home Key, and I will speak to those. Um, were very specific initiatives during the pandemic. But what Jackie's speaking to is that California overall has has really intentionally put a lot of focus on homelessness over the last. I think it probably preceded the pandemic. I have to say that mm-hmm. the beginnings of interest of like this, this is the situation is no longer um, tenable for anybody. The individuals impacted and the community members who live around homelessness is just not okay anymore. So there is there is a significant infusion of resources um, to, for communities in both the housing development side and the kind of services side. And that's, I mean, that's what Jackie's talking about is like, we we don't have to be as like, well, we have to save this tiny bit of money for this tiny, you know, <laughs> number of people. It's, it's a different kind of mindset that we have to wrap our heads around, which I think is a much healthier mindset because we will finally be able to address the impacts and, the, and do some prevention, some actual prevention, which to me is where my heart is, like the actual prevention of people literally becoming homeless um, rather than only working with the people who are literally homeless right now. That being said, Project Room Key, um, and there's people mix these up all the time, so I'm just going to give you a little, your listeners a little. Room Key is a room, Home Key is a home. So Project Room Key <laughs> provides motel rooms, so just the motel room model, for individuals that are at high risk of um, complications from COVID-19. So typically the individuals that are in our Project Room Key project are elderly, multiple um complex medical conditions and so they are they are very at risk for complications from COVID-19. We right now have 47 households in Project Room Key. At at the height of Project Room Key we had more like a hundred um, households actually. So it, it's a, it's a complicated project to manage because these are individuals that are in, in motel rooms. They need, they need case management. They need support. And we also feel a responsibility to do what we can to help support them not, not going back to the streets. So there's a, there's a long-term goal in mind as well. Although it was originally, um, put forth in the middle of the pandemic as a, you know, public health emergency response situation. But it's, it's morphed over time to a, a commitment to try to not return um, these individuals to homelessness, which means they also have to put forth the effort to to, to go through that process of trying to find a, a safer place to be. So that's Project Room Key. Project Home Key um, was a grant program and is a grant program that the state of California enrolled like last July, I think, um, that provided funding to jurisdictions. It could be counties or cities. Um, in this case, the county did did put forth an application to purchase motels and renovate them if that was necessary to be um, transitional or permanent or both housing for individuals experiencing homelessness. Um, the county of Mendocino purchased the old Best Western Inn in Ukiah for this project. It was as um, Mari indicated it was a bureaucratic feat because it all happened in an extremely short timeline, which was difficult for the community because they were not offered the opportunity that the community normally gets to weigh in and provide feedback to this kind of project. Happened very fast. The um, motel was escrow was completed by last November and renovations were done on not all of the rooms, but a number of the rooms, I think 35 of them. Um, and individuals and families began moving in in April. How many individuals applied to 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 live uh, mm-hmm. at the Live Oak Apartments, and how right. many people made it, and what were the criteria that you used to uh, admit people? Sure. So the project prioritized um, 
individuals and families who fell into this, the following groups, veterans, seniors, persons with complex medical conditions, families with children, and individuals fleeing domestic violence. I think those were the primary categories. So we, um, those were, those were the priority, priority demographics that were going to be welcomed into Live Oak Apartments. And that was a deliberate choice um, for a couple of different reasons. But those demographics and those categories of individuals experiencing homelessness are more likely to have a case manager already attached to them in some way. Either they're, they're, they're getting services through the Veterans Administration or Senior Center type services or something. So they already had um, some support in place, which was really important because we knew we couldn't provide full case management for everybody in the buildings we being the county we being the county right so we we it was a very intentional program design and every every bit of it was very intentional and in how we how we thought it through but our um our waiting list is simply enormous we probably have at least 250 or 260 referrals right now waiting for um the next next wave of residents which probably now won't happen till the fall and we only have i think we have 19 rooms and a couple at least two probably four of them will be double rooms um for larger families so you know we could admit only as few as 15 new residents um that being said the the program is designed to be a pathway to recovery permanent recovery from home from homelessness some individuals are leasing up in that building and they, they will be there for many years. We've already had some families and individuals who found housing elsewhere, permanent housing elsewhere, through the stability that was provided at Live Oak Apartments. They were able to complete the process to apply for housing vouchers, apply for housing programs, go through the whole, you know, pathway <laughs> to get housing in another location. So we have turnover already. Um, and then, you know, things happen because it's an, it's an unstable population. So one gentleman move to Arizona and says he's coming back. We're not sure he is. So there's some things like that that will happen. So we do have turnover over time. Mm -hmm. In case you just tuned in, this is Citizen U. Um, I am your host, Mari Roden. Today we're talking about homelessness in Mendocino County. My guests are Jackie Williams of the Ford Street Project and Megan Fansant from Health and Human Services. Um, I just would like to continue uh, with Megan. You recently gave a presentation to the Ukiah City Council on Project Home Key. Mm -hmm. And you brought up something I think is really interesting and important to consider, which is the scarcity of staff resources and the choices, the kind of Sophie's choices, that situations mm -hmm. that you face in deciding how to help people. And you gave us, uh, with pseudonyms, you gave us sort of two um, yeah, yeah. Could you could you talk about those and, and share that with the sure. listeners? Sure. No, I would love to because it's it's a it's a dilemma that I struggle with um, in in my my work every day, and I, I'm sure Jackie feels the same way. But I, I shared the story of two different households that I I personally had been involved in helping over the past six months, and I'll just explain them. So one of them was a, um, a young woman who's who lived in, had been living in a motel room with her five year old. Let's see, siblings that were five and six years old and her 18-year-old brother. She was fully employed. Her brother was fully employed. She was 21, so she was very young. Their mother had been in a serious car accident and probably was never really fully going to recover and was hospitalized in a different city outside of, of Ukiah. So she had been living this this day-to-day -day life in a motel room with resources but didn't know how to navigate the private rental market, had literally no credit history at all, and didn't, she was 21, and she'd, you know, she'd been caring for her five and six-year-old siblings. Um, and, you know, I remember, because she, she said to me, can you talk to the landlord for me? 
because she had found something on Facebook. You know, <laughs> I was like, yes, I will. Right. And I'm like, I just can't say no, even though this is not the work I normally do. So I spent time trying to link this woman, you know, and I was intervening on behalf of landlords and telling, kind of telling her story for her and saying, when you run her credit check, you'll see she has literally no credit, but she's fully employed. I, you know, we can vouch, I'm vouching for her and her brother who was fully employed. And we eventually did get them into an apartment. The first apartment that those little kids had been in maybe ever the five and six year old um and you know this is four four person family that had been living in a motel room for four years so um that was one family we worked with and then we've spent a lot of time on an individual who spends a lot of time downtown she's been in and out of jail many times she's actually quite charming i really like her <laughs> but she has a serious mental health issue she creates you know kind of tension and stress with downtown businesses in Ukiah. Like she's, she's just a, a real presence and um, has been really difficult to kind of find a different path for her. Also spent a huge amount of time on this woman. And so we as a staff have to figure out we have limited limited time, even though I know we have the skills. And that's what's really hard for me is I know we have the skills to help both of these these individuals. But where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our time as a community? Where Because we don't have enough training staff to do it all mm -hmm. and i think it's a really hard question because because we we get pressure all the time for the very visible homeless you know we get pressure from from the community from law enforcement rightly so you know rightly so i'm not i'm not saying that shouldn't shouldn't be the case but it also means that i don't spend time on these other families that are there the hidden homeless that are really really need the skill and support that my team can bring to them mm -hmm. I yeah I think you know it's it's our world and there will be people who will criticize us and say you know this person's need is much greater it's she's in a much more serious and precarious situation and sometimes that's true but also sometimes we have kind of the cookbook and know that we can quickly get this family that has just been in their car for two weeks right back and they don't end up with a prolonged un unhoused situation. So, you know, I, I, if I had a wish, I would hope that the community that supports our efforts expands their understanding and awareness and realize that the choices that it looks like we may be making, we may not, you may not know the 17 other considerations that we have had to make to do what what we did and um you know it's it, it is the the toughest part you know if i wish we didn't have to do that but the reality is that's where we are when you know when megan pointed out no credit history that young woman didn't have a rental history too and that's a big mm -hmm. problem here as well so you almost need a credible advocate for people in those situations to intervene with a landlord. And I under, I'm a landlord too. I understand that landlord position. Um, when you're taking on something that looks very vulnerable and no, with no history, it, it, it is a concern. So it does take people like the people like Megan and I and our teams to, to help landlords understand at, at times. In the, the two situations you just described, Megan, the four siblings and then the single woman, I also, I also heard a, you know, kind of a, 
a dilemma about do our resources go toward prevention, which you might mm -hmm. think of as helping the siblings who, mm -hmm. you know, get them, see if we can give them the supports they need so that we don't have, you know, multi-generational homelessness. On the other hand, we have this single woman who's taking up a lot of resources, economic resources in our community, public safety, criminal justice, and um, you know, if to the extent that she's interrupting commerce on the streets and keeping. So we've got the critical crisis respond to the person who's taking up resources, and then we've got prevention issues. I, absolutely, Mari, and I, I mean, I think that that's, that's it. Jackie's right. I, I, if there's a few things I would really hope the general community would understand is that dilemma. And both of those situations are deserving of attention. Absolutely. Um, I tend to, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, I think we, I think we do overlook the, the quieter hidden homeless more than we should. I, that's just my bias right now. Where, and where are they? How do we overlook them? They're because they're not they're not visible on the street. You know, they're in a motel room or they're in a car or they're very quietly out in in the woods. I don't know. You know, or they're doubled up in homes. You know, and I you know one of the initiatives that the state of California was quite focused on this year. I'm not quite sure how it's going to roll out, but there was an intention to end family homelessness. And to me, I think that is critical. No child should grow up in homelessness. It's 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 morally wrong. You know, and I feel like if our community put real attention on that, that I would be really grateful for that, that real attention. But I, my team and, you know, Jackie, to some extent too, we, we constantly get being asked, what are you doing about this situation that I see on the street? Yeah. I totally agree. That situation on the street is not okay. But the time I spend on that situation, on the street is time spent away from, from others. And, you know, we have, as I said, we have, we have two, we have hundreds of people on our waiting list for Live Oak Apartments. And for what's difficult for my staff and I is I, I look at their, just the little bits of information that we get. And I think to myself, well, someone talked to them about this or what about that? And I just don't have the time or really I haven't been given the direction or the authority to just be like, is there other things we can offer these families? And that breaks my heart because it's, it's, it's really difficult. Well, it seems to me that prevention services wouldn't, lie in the department you know that is that is responding to people who are already homeless that we you yeah. know and, and it used to be anyway that that the public health department of the county is where it was the you know nexus for prevention services and no and i think you're right mari in that by the time somebody who's in my team or, or megan's team is working with somebody some some system somewhere has <laughs> had a rupture mm -hmm. and so you know the other thing that I think deserves some attention is that there are um, members of the Latinx community that I feel don't access or even try to access our services because I think um, they're accustomed or un, uh, to either resolve it in, in ways they see suitable or they're afraid or they don't believe they'll be treated equitably. So, you know, when when Megan and I talk about the hidden um, problem, huh. we, we need to remember that, um, you know, just as we learned um, during the pandemic that the Latinx community is is often not served as we serve others and it's cultural. Mm -hmm. And I would add our, our Native American brothers and sisters as well. So I think it, you know, our teams, when I, when I look at what I'm asking these folks to do, um, it's like, just go 
you know, solve three miracles today and come back and we'll find two more tomorrow. I mean, some no of problem. these things are really, really complicated and take a lot of care and attention. Right. Well, I think we could we could talk about this for at least another hour, maybe more, <laughs> so. but we don't have time. So we only have a few minutes left. And so I'd like to just turn to each of you and ask if there's anything else that you'd like to mention that we didn't get to talk about um, and, and how people can find out more if they're interested in connecting with either of you. Jackie, do you want to go first? I, I guess I would just um, encourage if, if, if you have general uh, interest in resolving the homelessness issues, is keeping up with what's happening in the continuum of care would be a great place to start. And we always can use the interest and support of people who are um, interested to supporting our, our efforts. Mm-hmm. I also think helping us resolve the um, the rumors or the, the the misinformation can can save all of us um, some effort and time as we move forward too. Because I think we're on a roll here and we've got more to do. Megan, I, I would echo what Jackie just said, and I would again encourage um, the COC, the Continuum of Care, is a membership organization. We welcome all members, and we need more members. We actually have you know not nearly as many members as maybe people think. We we could definitely use more general members. So if you're interested in membership, please reach out to us. How? How do they reach out? Okay. <laughs> I was afraid you're going to ask that. So we um, there's information on reaching the continuum of care at www.handupnothandoutmendo.com. And if you Google the continuum of care, um, it, it will also bring Mendocino County continuum of care. Just Google it. It will bring you to a couple links, one, one through the county that will take you to the right place. Um, the I think what I, one of the things I wanted to say in closing is I felt like I, I talked a lot about the projects that I've been like personally involved in, my team and I, um, but I really want to give a shout out to our community partners who are doing this work. Um, we have organizations in this community, and, and this is not going to be an exhaustive list I'm going to say right now, but Redwood Community Services, McCavin, Manzanita, Ford Street Project, obviously, RCHDC does an enormous amount of work with um, providing actually housing and you know other organizations hospitality house on the coast coast, absolutely street medicine medicine. there's just like a lot it's not a myriad (laughs) it's a a significant small pool of people doing really amazing work and I just want to I want to give a shout out to them because I rely on them so much the stuff that I describe doing is often through partnerships with with those organizations so they deserve the credit Great. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Citizen U. I have been your host, Mari Roden. And um, stay tuned now for Loose Cannon Classics with Susan Jewell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolets and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.